Welcome to Journey South Bay. Thank you for inviting us in to listen to God's Word. Take a moment to get comfortable, sit back, and relax as we listen to today's message. All right, if you could stand and join me for the reading of the scripture this morning. It comes from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered there, so there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came bringing him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And Jesus saw their faith. He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they had questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise up, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed, went out before them, so that they were all amazed at glorifying God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Thank you. You may be seated. One of the desires uh, for this church is that you would begin to think of this as a, as a ministry and not a club. And what I mean by that is, is a club is something that if you're a part of, uh, it's, it exists for it mem- its members, and all the members sort of share the same visions, share the same values, share the same uh, practices, and you have, to, you have to adopt all those to be a part of it. But a ministry is something that you can be a part of before you share those things. That is, a ministry is something that you can belong to before you believe in what everyone around, believe in all the things that everyone around you believes in. And, and the way to cultivate that is by making a ministry about Jesus. That no matter where you, this is the fascinating thing about the Gospels, no matter where you are on the belief plane, whether you have been a part of this your whole life or whether this is something recent for you or whether even today, This is something strange and brand new for you. When Jesus is put before us, there's something mysterious about him connecting with everybody. And the way he wants to connect with us today, sort of the the question that Mark brings about for us, is uh, what does it mean to have faith? What is faith? Here's what faith is. Jesus is going to teach us that faith is deeper than you think. Secondly, it's actually easier than you think, but thirdly, it's, it's actually harder than you may imagine it to be, but fourth, it's more wonderful than you can imagine. First, faith. It's actually deeper than you think. So here's the story. Uh, Jesus is um, having a successful ministry. If you actually go through the entire uh, chapter of Mark 1, there's some amazing ministry where he's healing people, he's casting out demons, it's actually very successful, and the crowds are growing and drawing to him, and we're told here at the beginning of chapter 2 that his ministry is becoming so successful, he's in a room, 
and he's going to preach, and it's just crowded, and no one else can get to him. And so what people are beginning to understand is that getting around Jesus, being a part, uh, just having peripheral uh, experience with him uh, is the possibility for something incredible. And here's this paraplegic. Now, a paraplegic uh, in that culture, if you could not walk, you were essentially dead. You, uh, you couldn't work. You, nobody would marry you because uh, you couldn't work, you couldn't provide, and you couldn't provide a future for any kind of family. So he's probably uh, culturally alone, uh, financially alone, uh, sociologically alone, and even maybe spiritually alone because he's unclean. And so what, what this man probably thought is something um, that you and I would, would think all the time, where he says, if I could, if I could just get around Jesus, if I could just be with him, then he, maybe he can heal this, and he could walk. And if I could walk, then, then I can have a life again. That is, then maybe I could get a job. Then maybe I can have a family. Then maybe I can have a children. Then maybe I can have a legacy. And he comes to around Jesus with this if-only belief. And then what Jesus does is looks at this man who's got an obvious, clearly acute need of an inability to walk, and he looks at him and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, for anybody in the room, and especially that man, that had to feel like a tone-deaf claim. Like, Jesus, do you have any idea what's going on in my life? Do you not even know why I'm here? And if you've never read this story, or if you're foreign to the Bible, this can feel like an immediate moment where you go, aha, ha, yes, this, this is where I'm right. Christianity is so impractical because this is what God always wants to do. I, I've got this going on in my life. I've got this pressing thing, and He just wants to talk to me about forgiveness and these kinds of things. Is that what Jesus is doing? No. Look, salvation that Jesus has in mind, which actually the text, I think, begins to unfold for us has a, a, a more holistic view that taps into everything that you're crying out for and needing in life. But Jesus is doing something here that you and I have got to pay attention to. It's that what, what, what this man does is something that you and I do all the time, is that the way that we typically go to God is this. God, this thing in my life, these circumstances with my job or with my children or with my self-esteem, or with my physical body, is out of control. And I've looked at all these kind of ways in life, and I realize I can't find salvation, I can't fix this anywhere. Maybe you can fix it. And we go to Him with this belief that these circumstances in our life are the most pressing things, and if you can fix them, then life will be okay. And what Jesus is doing to this man is something that He wants to say to you right now. It's that those circumstances in your life that you want to bring to Him and are sure are the most acute, biggest problems in your life, He's saying, that's actually not the biggest problem in your life. That's an illusion. Dax Shepard uh, has been a very successful actor, um, done some movies and, and had a big TV show for about seven or eight years, um, has a very successful podcast now where he talks about life and his work and things like that. And he says, uh, he said the most depressing part of his life, the most depressing part of his career was when he got his biggest break. And he got a huge movie contract. 
And he said what was so depressing about it is because he was struggling with uh, uh, drugs and alcohol and depression and these kinds of things, but he always thought, well, when I, when I get that break, then I won't struggle with these things anymore. And here's what he said. He said, being powerless over something is demoralizing. I had everything on paper I wanted, and I was as, I was as unhappy as I, as I have ever been. Something really profound was broken. Because up until then, I could say, well, if I had money, I wouldn't need to be drinking and doing drugs like this. If I made it my career, I wouldn't be wanting this. A lot of people go through life saying, I could be happy if. I could know contentment if. Those are illusions that few people get to find out are illusions. I actually got to find out that it's an illusion. And finding out it's an illusion is worse than the circumstance that needed the illusion. Look, there, there are so many times in life that you have this thing in your life and God does not answer that thing. And we wonder why. And it's because most of the time God is looking at you and saying, that thing is an illusion. And you know what? Because when the illusion is answered and it doesn't solve the problem, you know what you do? You never blame the illusion and you never blame yourself. You always blame the person who could not give you what you thought you most wanted. And what Jesus is teaching the man here is he's saying, faith in me is so much deeper than just adding some spirituality to your already ongoing circumstances. What faith is, is letting me go to the bottom of the heart of your life, to your ultimate desires, and almost claw that out to give you a desire for something that you never even knew that you wanted, but when you get it, you'll realize you cannot live without this. Henry Ford, when um, was asked one time about inventing the car and how he got this idea, and he said, you know, this, this didn't come from somebody asking me to do this. He didn't go around and saying, would you like a vehicle that could, could tow all this stuff, that could travel? He said, I didn't ask people what they needed. I taught them what I needed. If I'd asked them what they needed and wanted, they just would have asked for faster horses. What Jesus is doing with this man is he's saying, you don't know what you need. And what you need is so much deeper than even the ability to walk. And I'm not going to meet that need until I'm your ultimate need. And so what I'm going to do is teach you what your ultimate need is until that thing that you think you need, you don't even need it anymore. See, what faith is in Jesus is actually giving you something you probably don't even want right now or don't even want to the degree that you think that you need it. And he's always going to press you to say, like, you think this is your ultimate issue in life. It's actually much deeper and much, much more profound. And there's nothing more pressing in your life right now than to have your sins forgiven. Faith in him is so much deeper than you think. But secondly, it's actually easier than you think. So we're told something a little bit uh, alarming here. It says in verse 8 that Jesus uh, perceived their spirits. Every time I've ever read that, I've thought... Man, that would be so helpful in marriage, um, just, to, just to save so many fights. Um, so Jesus has this um, ability where he, he could, he's understanding how people are feeling and what's going on. And then in verse 5, 
It says these people, they had worked so hard to get their, their friend to Jesus. And follow this. It, it says Jesus looked at their faith and forgave the man his sins. Now, he, he, here's what the text says. It doesn't say Jesus saw the faith of the man and Jesus heard the man ask for repentance. It says Jesus saw the faith of his friends and then looked at him and said, your sins are forgiven. Now, we're going to come back to that because I think this is just an incredibly profound thing that Jesus is giving us. But one thing it just teaches us right here is that Jesus is so tender and he is so aggressive to want to show us grace and mercy and forgiveness that sometimes all it takes is him noticing the longing for someone to have their friends experience him that moves his hearts towards them. Look, experiencing the thing that you most need with God does not require you to get six months ready it doesn't require you to even read the Bible beforehand. It doesn't even require you to know anything spiritually, to even know your spiritual needs. It just requires you the simplest thing to just see Him. The great uh, Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon said this is how he came to faith. He said it was a, it was a cold, uh, wintry morning. It was snowing. Um, it was snowing so bad that the church he was going to go to, he couldn't even get to because of the snow. So he went to this church that was even closer, and the minister there couldn't even make it. So some layman got up for the sermon and opened to Isaiah 45 and just read, look unto me and you will be saved. And Spurgeon said, this is what the minister said. He said, my dear friends, this text says, look. Now, and Spurgeon even kind of made, he said he couldn't even speak well. He didn't even have good English. He said, now looking don't take a deal of pains. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It is just look. Well, a man need not, need not go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool, and yet you can look. A man needn't be worth a thousand years to be able to look. Anyone can look. Even a child can look. And Spurgeon said in that moment, here's what he said, I thought that spirituality and knowing God was that I had to gird up all of this faith, that I had to just fully believe, that I had to get everything together, that I had to know everything in order to be able to put faith in Him. I had to be confident in everything. I had to squash all doubts. I had to get all of my intellectual reasoning all together. And he said, what the man made me realize is all I have to do is look. It's just look. Now, let me apply this in two ways. One, if, if you're skeptical, you don't know where you are in faith. What this is teaching you is that you don't have to get all the stars aligned in order to know Jesus. This is not eliminate every doubt and then you have faith in Him. You just look. You, you just look at His tenderness. You just look at, his, look at Him longing for you to know Him to the point that your friend's longing for that would move his face towards you. If you're a believer, 
I think it puts this on you. Don't make it harder for anybody else around you to know him than for them just to look. My, my kids, uh, uh, we love USC football. We were all locked in last night. And uh, it's, it's very fun, and I'm very proud of the fact that we do that together. And you know how I got my kids to be big USC football fans? I sat them all down, and I said, listen, it's either this or you sleep outside. <laughs> no. I, I, I just took them to campus, and they just, they just saw. They just saw that team. They just saw that stadium. They saw it for themselves. All I had to do was just let them see it. Don't ever make it harder for anybody to know Jesus than just to let them see him. It's, it's so much easier than you think. But thirdly, I think the thing that Jesus is teaching us here is that actually faith is even harder than you imagine. So he, in verse 9, he gives us this riddle. He says this, Why do you question the things that are in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up your bed and walk? It's actually a fair question in light of what Jesus is doing here. Is it easier for Jesus to forgive the man or just to say, rise up and walk? And all of us, to the immediate eye, would go, well, clearly it's harder to rise up to get a man to rise up and walk. But, you know, Jesus actually pokes a hole in that thought. Because the very next thing is he says, so that you may know that I, the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. And he looks at the man and says, get up and walk. Now, what's he doing here? What Jesus is trying to say is it's actually harder to forgive sins. And, you know, you begin to tap into this because of the religious leader's anger and frustration with him. Because why in the world would Jesus say, son, your sins are forgiven? Because he's just met this man. How, how in the world does Jesus take it upon himself to forgive somebody? I mean, like, if, if somebody this afternoon comes and just, like, steals your iPhone, and I just walk up... Um, and say, hey, don't worry, I forgave that person. You're just, you're just like, what? <laughs> I, I, that has nothing to do with this situation, Alex. Where do you get off thinking you are, you, you are a part of this equation? Well, if I'm the one who bought you and gave you the iPhone, and I purchased that, and somebody stole it from you, and then I say, you know, hey, I forgive that person, it makes a little bit more sense. And actually, when God says that He forgives somebody who hurt you, what He's saying is everything that happens is I'm an author behind and the founder and the creator of all things. And it's quite an astounding claim. And if, when Jesus is making that claim here, that he has the authority to be that, he's making a divine claim that he himself is God that makes the religious leaders angry, and they call it blasphemy. Now, sidestep like the, the scientific, you know, idea of a miracle and Jesus calling this man to rise up and walk. Imagine his claim where he says, I'm, I am God, and I can forgive, and I can make people stand up and walk. 
If that's true, don't you want a God who can enable people to walk and can forgive sins? And if you're a God who can do both, which one's harder? And what Jesus is teaching us is it's actually harder to forgive sins. It's harder for Him, and it's actually harder for you. Look, it's harder for Him because in order for Jesus to look at this man and get him to walk, he just, it's just a word, stand up and walk. But for Him to forgive sins, Jesus is going to have to lie down for this man to stand up. That in order for Him to forgive him, He's going to have to die for him. That when He says, I forgive you, it's not an easy claim. It's not just words that are thrown out there. It's not just words that are just, hey, I forgive you, no big deal. It's actually a claim that says, I will go and do something about this and pay the whole way. And when he makes that, it's not just harder for him, it's actually harder for you. Because what the religious leaders do is they don't, if Jesus had just healed the man, Everybody would have been, wow, that's amazing. But when he says your sins are forgiven, they don't say thank you. They say how dare you. Because what a religious inclination will do is it will always struggle with the reception of forgiveness. Because what forgiveness does is it makes you think this is, there, there, there's got to be a catch here. You know, like, uh, forgiveness is, um, is something that is very difficult to receive because it just strips you of all of your pride. It says you have to come with nothing. You have to come without anything. And almost all of us, especially the more moral and religious you are, don't know how to deal with that. I had a girl who, um, who worked for me several years ago. And uh, she's married to the guy now. But I remember when she was dating him, uh, she had no idea uh, what to do with this guy because he was so kind. Isn't this just the, the funniest story? Like, you would think a guy going to a woman and, and putting himself out there and making himself vulnerable would make the girl go, I've always wanted this. This is so comforting. But it actually is very scary. Here, here's what their conversations would be. I, I'll never forget, she came to me, and she said, he loved me. And I said, ooh, what'd you do? And she said, I didn't know what to do. And then he said, I know how that feels. You don't have to say anything. I just wanted you to know that. And, she, and I was like, was that comforting? And she said, no, it was terrifying. And I said, why? And she said, because he made himself fully vulnerable. And I kept wondering, what's the catch? I kept wondering, there's got to be a side door to this. And he didn't ask anything of me. And she said, I, if he had, had expected me to do it back, it actually would have been a little less scary. See, here's why forgiveness in faith is so hard, because it asks nothing of you. Look, if God had said, hey, here's what faith is, I'll forgive you if, all of you moral people would be all in. 
because you've been like, well, I'm sort of living my life pretty good already. And so this just confirms and stamps what I'm already doing. And the more you are that way, the scarier it is when God goes, it's nothing. It requires nothing. You have a lame man who can't do anything, and you've got religious leaders, and the lame man who can't do nothing is grateful, and the religious leaders want to kill him because faith is harder than you think. Look, if you hear right now God say, your sins are forgiven, and it feels like an empty parking space downtown where you go, I feel like I'm going to get towed. Let me ask you, what is keeping you from trusting this man? Because do you know what he wants from you? It's nothing. He just wants to look at you and say, you're forgiven. You are accepted. Can you accept that? Look, faith, it's deeper than you think. It's actually easier than you think. It's harder than you think, but it's actually more wonderful than you can imagine. Here's the lesson in this whole text. Jesus is teaching us that the most crucial thing in your life is that your soul be healed. But let's not lose sight of the fact that he does enable this man to stand up and walk. Because the purview of Jesus' salvation is not just your soul, it's all of your body. It's your whole existence. It's the whole fabric of creation being healed. It's it's that Jesus is going to take every stain and wrinkle that the curse brought upon us and pull it back. Isaiah 35 envisions this day being like this. Then, when Jesus returns, the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shall shout for joy. Look, look, Christian salvation is not just your sins are forgiven. It's that one day everything sad is going to come untrue, everything broken in this world is going to be undone, and the world that we're going to be given is going to be given in a way that we always longed for it to be, and even to a degree we never even knew it could be. You know, you, you and I have five senses now. Uh, I, I think it's like a mantis shrimp they think has like 29 senses. What, what, do, you, what do, you, do you think we're going to be less than that? When Jesus returns and makes everything right, it, it, we're going to have things and experience things and be a part of things that we never even knew we were missing out on. And you know what, what's so beautiful about this? is this man gets this from Jesus. He gets something that he wanted and wasn't sure was possible and something that he didn't even know he needed. You know how he got it? From his friends. This is his friends. They did everything they could just to get this man around Jesus. And Jesus, this is, this is a, an incredibly troubling text for so many people. Jesus looked at their faith, not at the boys. He looked at their faith and then acted. And this this is so hopeful in two ways. One, think of all the people in this world who do not have the intellectual ability 
or the physical ability to ever make a profession of faith. That they will never grasp what it means to be a sinner saved by grace. That will, that will never make mental sense to them. I think what this text is saying is that Jesus is so beautiful that for people like that, their parents, their friends, their aunts, their uncles, longing for them to be healed moves the heart of Jesus to do it. And there are people in your life right now who, who want nothing to do with it and don't know this is their deepest need. And, and I think if you long for that person to experience Jesus, it moves his heart towards them to where he can work in their life. What could be more wonderful than somebody in your life right now who doesn't even have this on their radar, who doesn't even know this is possible, and you long for them to experience it so much that God's heart moves towards them in a way that says, I am open for mercy for them. There was a great movie like 20 years ago called um, The Bucket List with Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman. And if you didn't see this movie, it was a fun movie. Uh, Jack Nicholson is just this horrible person who's like, let money corrupt his life. He's left his family. He's isolated from everybody. He was just rich and kind of walked over everybody. And Morgan family was sort of a happy uh, married man, and they both contract terminal cancer and are stuck together and realize they only have a little bit of time left. And so they decide to spend a lot of their time bonding and going on these adventures together. And in it, a lot of the hate and cynicism that they carried through a lot of their life just begins to melt. And Morgan Freeman dies first. And uh, Jack Nicholson goes into this funeral of all African-American people, and he's the only white guy there. He gets up to give part of the eulogy. And here's what he says. He says, I hope this doesn't sound selfish of me, but the last moments of his life were the best of mine. He saved my life, and he knew, he, he knew it before I did. I'm deeply proud that this man found it worth his while to know me. In the end, it's safe to say that we brought some joy to one another's lives. So one day, when I go to my final resting place, if it happened to wake up next to a certain pearly gate, I hope that Carter's there to vouch for me and show me the ropes on the other side. Look, what friends in your life do you want to vouch for? Because I think the heart and mercy of God is so tender and open that there are people that you can long for healing and sometimes that's all it takes because faith is more wonderful than you can think. Let me pray. Father, there are people in my life now I can see their face. That they don't know you, that they don't know this is a big deal. That they don't know this is important. And I long for it for them. And I pray that in your mercy that you would turn your face to them. And you would say, son, your sins are forgiven.
that you would be that tender and beautiful. In Jesus' name, amen. If you enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to the RSS podcast feed. This will let you know when a new message has been posted. You can also look for us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram at Journey South Bay. Until next time, God bless.